Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, June 19th, we are studying James chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. Faith and works go together for Christians. In faith, when Christians look upon each other, they don't show favoritism based on worldly judgments. In faith, when Christians look upon each other, they see those who are just like them, people for whom Jesus died, people to be loved as Jesus has first loved us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us re- regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. How's the coffee? Oh, it's still hot. That's good. Mine too. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> so we're in James chapter two this morning, Pastor Beck, and we're we're coming really. We divided it here for the sake of of not taking too much text at once. So there's quite a bit of overlap from what we've been looking at previously. Give us context from the the first part of chapter two and the rest of the book of James that'll be helpful for us this morning. Sure, sure. I, th- I think that it's it's a helpful thing for us to uh, to remember. Um, that James is talking about the true religion of Christianity. Now, in, in our day and in our age, um, oftentimes we get kind of a, a strange distinction that people will make between a religion and a relationship, right? And they act like one is bad and the other is preferable. Uh, and James is actually going to talk in favor of religion, but true religion. He's going to talk in favor of uh, the religion of Jesus Christ, the religion uh, that changes us and that um, that actually uh, is undefiled before God the Father. And so uh, there's this idea uh, that faith, uh, it hits us right in the ears, right? The word of God hits us in the ears. Uh, it's implanted into our hearts, uh, but then it doesn't stay there. It actually uh, produces fruit. It actually blossoms and sprouts, and it actually um, emanates out from us. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that during the Reformation, of course, uh, Luther didn't have nice things to say about the book of James because of the way that it had been used uh, by many in his context. People that were saying, you know, uh, see, this is this makes it clear that uh, that salvation and life in Christ is uh, is really all about the works that you do. Uh, and so that was one of the reasons that Luther sort of maybe downplayed the book of James at certain times uh, throughout his ministry. But the idea that uh, that he was getting at uh, was that, hey, listen, uh, at this particular time in church life, uh, we have forgotten about the chief article of the faith, which is justification by grace through faith. And so that was what he really leaned into uh, for much of his uh, much of his teaching, much of his ministry. Uh, but I think that for us today, the book of James is hugely important because it reminds us that um, salvation isn't that just takes place in between your ears where your brain lives uh, or, or in your your rib cage where your heart or your soul or or however we want to describe that abides, but instead that um, that the religion of Christianity, that this this life of faith is just that it's it's a life. Right. And so uh, Christianity, that this particular religion that we are adherents of, that we uh, that we hold um, by faith, uh, it expresses itself in love for others and love for everybody. Right. Um, I, I mean, it, it reminds me uh, when the. Uh, the man asks Jesus, you know, uh, oh, so if the if the second greatest commandment is I should love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? Right. Uh, we hear the good Samaritan there. Right. Uh, the fact that the guy that you don't necessarily want to be neighborly to, um, that's your neighbor. And so that's what we're going to talk about a bit today um, are, are the people that we we don't necessarily look forward to being good to um, if there is, you know, such a feasible thing, such a. Such an idea that we could come up with. <laughs> this is this is one of those sections here that we're as we start it today, where James sometimes gets a, a bad rap among Lutherans, and we'll we'll yeah. get to that. It's toward the end of the text where where right. it seems that 
faith and works, the way that James talks about them, as you said already, is, is not the way that Lutherans tend to talk. I mean, and, and given where the Lutheran Church comes from out of the Reformation, what Luther was speaking against the errors in the Roman Catholic Church of his day, yeah. you can see why. And, and this passage is the start of where some would weaponize James against Lutherans and say, look, you guys are wrong. And, and of course, the, the challenge for us uh, the, to be faithful as Christians is to hold these things together, to not put James and Paul against each other, but to see how right. they speak together. And, and so we get a chance to do that. But I, I think just to, to play off of some of, of what you've said, especially about the word, uh, the word is going to be the key because the, the word that hits our ears, James talks about it, it's an implanted word, and that's what saves your souls. Right. That word is so powerful that not only does it come into you and create faith, but it also produces work in you. And so when we're talking about faith and works together, we, we really have to start there with the power of God's word to do what he says. And as you said, not only between our ears or in our rib cage, in our brain or in our heart, but also in our, our entire bodies, our, our hands, our feet, our lips as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it reminds me of something that, um, I can't even remember who said this, but uh, somebody that I heard speaking once said, um, he said, I am here to change your mind. And we were all just kind of like, okay, what are you talking about? Well, this was in a, in a teaching uh, situation. And he said, your mind, that is literally what teaching is, is I'm going to take what's in your mind and I'm going to change it so that there's more things in your mind. And when we walked out of that particular seminar, uh, we walked out and um you know, our minds were changed about whatever he was talking about. And uh, it actually had an impact on the way that, um, you know, the way that we lived our lives, the way that we went on and did things. Um, it's not enough to just be information. It's information that is actually worth putting into practice. You know, if the point of Christianity is that you can say, you know, hmm, I agree with that. Now I'm going to go back to doing everything the way that it was before. Um, I think Paul has some pretty serious admonitions against that. Obviously, as James says here, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Far be it. No, absolutely not. Never, ever, ever. Yeah. So that's kind of the same vein here as James. For sure. Let's go ahead and read the text. We're in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead." That's the text for today, James chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. Now, Pastor Beck, as, as we get started here in, in verse 8, there's a couple of, of matters of translation. And, and <laughs> we always want to be careful when we, when we start pulling out the Greek, uh, because you know, we, we don't want to, certainly we don't want to condemn those who, who are given the job of, of translating by any means. But, but no. looking at the Greek, there may be a, a few nuances that uh, that we would miss and maybe some nuances that come through in the English that aren't there in the Greek. And one of those that you would point out is the word in the ESV that's translated really. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and we kind of lean into that word sometimes. What yeah maybe I, I why is that the wrong the notes I sent to you sent to you. <laughs> that's right. So so what what is the nuance really behind really behind the word really? <laughs> what is the nuance really? Yeah so um and and I mean just go to go ahead and say this out front. Anytime that you're translating anything, you are doing commentary to some degree or another, right? Um, you, you have choices that you have to make. You know this just like I do. You have choices about words that you have to make and, uh, and how, uh, how wooden of a translation you use and how faithful to the original you're going to be and is, uh, is a particular um, expression or idiom going to be lost in the English whenever you come into English. 
But uh, this one, I think if I were to guess, I would say the reason that it says if you really fulfill the royal law, I think that what they're they're just trying to kind of, again, to use the expression, they're leaning into the um, uh, maybe the emphatic nature with which James speaks, right? Um, and so if you really fulfill the law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, right? But the problem is, is that in the Greek, this is a very common expression. Um, it's it's called, we always refer to it as a men-de construction because the word there that's translated really is men, which doesn't really. Um, and then in the next sentence in verse 9, you see uh, a de, which is translated but. Um, and so the way that that's usually rendered is on the one hand. And so read it like that. If on the one hand, you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But on the other hand, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the laws of transgressors, right? And so this is this is really intended to be setting up a contrast. And so, you know, if you do this, you're doing all right. But on the other hand, if you still show partiality, and that's that really fits with the, the entire paragraph altogether, um, is to to sort of set up the uh, set up the um, I guess the reader, the hearer to set them up and then sort of to pull the rug just a little bit out from under them. Right. Uh, so that they can. Oh, OK. Uh, if you if you follow, follow the law, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing good. OK. I, I mean, I've, I feel like I, you know, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Oh, but. You had just talked a few verses earlier about how, you know, if we show extra hospitality to somebody who comes in wearing fine clothing, uh, you let him sit in the better place, right? Jesus talked about the places of honor that people sit, right? Uh, James is saying basically the same thing here is that if you look at people according to outward appearances and you judge them according to outward appearances and maybe you favor them or or you are biased uh, based on outward appearances, um, well, you're not really fulfilling the law of the scripture. Okay. Um, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the word really is a word of emphasis in English and the, right. the words in Greek do provide a sort of emphasis to them. James is saying, take a look at this on the one hand, right. now pay attention to this and put those two things together, compare and contrast them. So there is a, an, an emphasis to them. Uh, sometimes we'll use the word indeed, as as a translation, which is is I don't know I don't I don't use that word very often, Pastor Beck. <laughs> I probably use it more often than most <laughs> in speaking English, and only because of this. So there there is certainly an emphasis here on, on this matter. You know, really though is 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 perhaps not quite the nuance that we want to give. But yeah, look look at this. James says here, look at this first. What is what does this law say? And now compare that to this to this matter of of showing partiality. Pay attention to these these two things how do they go together it it's not exactly like there's there's a, a word in greek that means behold and, and sometimes you know we'll translate look look at this it's not exactly the same but there is this matter of pay attention to do to these two things and, and put them together compare and contrast to see this this reality that, that james wants us to see uh, with that and I, I probably interrupted you i apologize for that with that the, the other word in here that we need to to think about a little bit is the word royal law. Now, even within the English there, it sticks out a bit. I don't, I don't know where else in the, thank you, really. <laughs> I don't know where else in the English translation of the scriptures, you, you see the word translated royal, but if we understand it right, we will see how this theme fits into the rest of, of the scriptures. So take us into that word royal. Right. So the royal law here is talking, uh, it's just, it's not talking about Caesar's law. Or anything like that. Um, it's that, that was when I read this for the first time through uh, for uh, in in preparation for today's study. Um, not the first time that I've ever read it. Obviously, yeah. Uh, when I read through it the first time for today's study, um, I, I looked at it and I said, "The royal law, huh? That's that does kind of stick out like a sore thumb." Um, and it, I, I don't believe that shows up anywhere else in the scriptures. This particular construction, um, I just double checked on my fancy Bible software. Nope, doesn't show up anywhere else in the scriptures. So this is kind of a unique, uh, unique construction here. Uh, but the word royal there um, from the Greek, um, it, it's of the kingdom, 
mm-hmm. right? And so the kingdom referenced here isn't Caesar's kingdom. It's uh, it's which sounds like a casino. Um, it's not that. Um, it's God's kingdom, right? And it's referring to the uh, the eternal law that God has given to His people, right? And so um, Jesus boils this down uh, to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that's the, obviously the second part there is the part that uh, James is going to highlight here uh, because, you know, we uh, we have a tendency, I guess. Um, some folks have a tendency. I guess all of us do it in some ways of uh, of neglecting something from the law. We have a tendency to neglect and just to say, um, you know, it's enough for me to love God. Right? Do I have to love my neighbor too? Right? Um, who really is my neighbor? Right? Um, or you know, I'll I'll love those who are worthy of my love, or something like that. Um, but the the royal word here, yeah, that like I said, that just sticks out like a sore thumb here. Uh, but I don't think it should give us too much pause uh, when we realize that royal is it's just a, an English way of saying of the kingdom. And so you might say if you if you on the one hand fulfill the law of the kingdom. And I mean, you could maybe even capitalize kingdom so that you understand that we're not talking about, you know, whichever kingdom you happen to live in or something like that, but that this is talking about God's law. I think that helps us uh, to understand that. And that was just one more of the little kind of strange translation issues that I had working through this text. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> so, Pat, but Pastor Beck, I, I think this is a very important point to make, though, uh, particularly connecting it to the kingdom. Because that helps us connect it to the king. And sometimes in in our own English minds, when we hear the word kingdom, we think of a place. I I tend to get images from the medieval ages, castles and knights and well, royalty. But but when we when we hear the kingdom in the scriptures, our focus really needs to be on the king, on on who is reigning, who rules the king who is kinging. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that I mean, so that what what James is getting at here is is what does it mean? What does life look like when you live under the rule of Jesus as your King, which is a, a much broader picture than just checking a a box. Yes, I did this. You know, going down this list of rules, and and yes, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that. But it's it's a whole you know, the word worldview probably gets overused these days. But it, it is that it's a way of looking at the world of of looking at my neighbor as as we'll get into with this term partiality probably on the other side of the break. But but it's 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 just it's more than than just boxes. This is what life looks like when Jesus reigns as King, and and I'm living under that reign in, in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and, and blessedness, right? I mean, to, to think of the, the catechism there, uh, it's, it's just, it's a very all encompassing thing as, as we were saying at the beginning, this faith isn't just in our head or in our heart, but it's, it's a whole way of life. And, and it's a way of life that's been given to us because Jesus is reigning as our King. I, I agree. Yes. Wonderful. This is one of those parts where if we were in the same room, you could see that I was going to stop and you just pick up. I could just pick up right there with you. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so and so what is the law that we are being given here? It's you shall love the, your, your neighbor as yourself. Right. This is right. this is the the thrust of it is we all agree to this. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, we hear him a couple of times in Matthew. We hear him in Mark and Luke. Uh, we hear Paul says the same thing in Galatians. Right. And it's it's all the way back in the Old Testament, too. Uh, right. Uh, Leviticus 19, I believe. Right. And so uh, there is a bunch of familiar the concept. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Um, and so that's something that. I think most Christians throughout history, even until 2020, uh, would probably nod their heads and say, yes, we agree. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin. You're convicted by the law, by that same law as transgressors. Uh, and so this, again, just it, it forwards the point uh, to say that, uh, you know, um, your neighbor is everyone, there's no limits. Your neighbor, um, you know, you could you could scratch that out and write, you shall love your enemy as yourself. 
because Jesus had a thing or two to say about that as well. Right. Um, right. You, you shall love the unlovable as yourself. You shall love, um, you know, the, the people that don't want your love and are undeserving of your love and the people that will spurn you and hate you. Um, I, w- I sent you a text right as the show was beginning that uh, the previous show, Orazio, was was ending on the idea that the world will hate you, Christians. Right. I said, that's that's a that's a, a, an interesting sign off. Right. Uh, this is KFUO. Uh, but but hey, that's the this is the follow up to that is love them anyways. Right. That's the beautiful thing about the Church of, of Jesus Christ is is that um, even as they're stoning Stephen. Right. In the book of Acts, he is for God to forgive them. Right. Even as they're crucifying Jesus, he is praying for. For Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing, right? Um, and and so, how much how much more embarrassing is it for us when we show partiality um, to people who talk differently than us, or dress differently than us, or or aren't of the same, you know? Um, well, what what does James talk about? Those who come in wearing fine clothes, or those who come in wearing rags? You know, uh, we look at people and we judge by the outside. Uh, at times, and um, man, it, it it's it should it's something. This text is something that should embarrass us. It should call us each and every one to repentance, uh, and say, um, I can I can do better because that's what life in the kingdom looks like. Right, with with life under Jesus as King and yeah. Judge, as as will come up later in this text, life life looks different for Christians, particularly in this matter of of partiality, which we've we've already started talking about. And I really want to pick that up in a fuller way on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan. As you know, we postponed our share back in April, but I'm pleased to announce that we will be celebrating the ministry of KFUO with share 2020 from Thursday, June 25th through Saturday, June 27th. During this global pandemic and social unrest, it is vital for KFUO to share the love of Christ to a world starving to hear the gospel. As a partner with KFUO, your gifts provide for us to share that word of Christ around the world. Because of social distancing, our share will be slightly different than it has been in the past. Most of your favorite hosts and special guests will be live from their homes and not all together in the studio. Also, along with special share programming, we will continue some of our regular programs with extra breaks to ask for your support. Join us for share 2020, Thursday through Friday, June 25th through 27th, and celebrate the ministry of KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It's Friday, June 19th. We're studying James chapter 2, verses 8 through 17 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, you introduced this, this idea of partiality that James brings up in verse 9. And it's it was right there in the text previous, the one that we looked at yesterday in the first part of chapter two as well, this matter of partiality, or, or our guest yesterday suggested a favoritism as another way that we could understand this word. So, and you, you call this in your notes, um, a matter of James sort of pulling the rug out from underneath his, his hearers. What's, what's he doing in this? I think that takes us a little bit back to that uh, men de construction. Indeed. Yeah. You speak Greek. That's good. Sometimes. <laughs> That's real good. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, he has he has set up the reader. He has set us up uh, with this idea of you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and he says, you are doing well, um, which, you know, the little um, 
the little baby Christian inside of each one of us likes a good pat on the head. You are doing well. Good job, little Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. You say to yourself, um, I remember that. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm supposed to love. And I, you know, I, I try. And, and golly, you know, I, I do my best to love my neighbor. Um, but... If you show partiality, if you show favoritism, if if your biases betray you, that's getting into some some more modern language, right? Um, he says that's sin. He says that's wrong. That's bad. That's evil. You're convicted by the law as transgressors, right? And so um, all of a sudden you thought that you were doing okay. You just said, James, that I'm doing well, um, but now I'm I'm not feeling like I'm doing well now. Um, I'm sort of feeling like maybe I maybe I need to re-examine if I'm actually loving my neighbor as myself. Um, and so maybe it does go back to that uh, that old question, uh, who then is my neighbor, right? Um, seeking to justify ourselves. That's going to be at the root of what we're talking about here um, is that um, we – I guess I could. I guess I can say this is according to our old Adam. We have a tendency, um, and we have a a terrible habit of always trying to come out um, as the protagonist to our own story. We try to come out as the one who is the good guy in the story. We try to come out as the hero, right? And uh, man, this is this is so uh, so antithetical uh, to the Christian religion because uh, if we come out um, and it's a you know it's always an us versus them when things break down, isn't it? It never, never comes out as a, as a, as a him versus me. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's always us first, right? Us versus them. Um, because from your perspective, you're right. From your perspective, you understand things from your perspective. Um, you're the one who sees the world as it is. Um, it's like a, um, uh, a, a thing I saw on the internet the other day that says, um, you know, you, you don't want to hear my opinion. You just want to hear your opinion coming out of my mouth, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so when we disagree about things or when we come from a different background about things or when we see the world differently, you said something earlier about worldviews, uh, so to make the circle complete, when you have a different worldview, right, uh, you assume that, you know, I assume that my worldview is correct. That's just inherent in each one of us, Right. Um, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's very apropos to the times that we live in, uh, when we are in a time when, when there is deep division, um, amongst all kinds of different lines, um, in our, in our communities, in our, in our world. Um, this is a time when, uh, the Christian church absolutely should be doing a better job. Um, and Hey, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners here. Like I, I am absolutely, um, not doing my part and trying to learn how, um, and, and I know you are as well, um, trying to figure out what it looks like um, for us to um, to love our neighbors. And when I say our neighbors, I mean all neighbors, everybody, uh, you know, equally and across the board uh, to love them with uh, the love that says that, you know what, um, he or she is a person for whom Christ has died. That's the lens, the worldview that we ought to have towards every single person everywhere. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of muddying the waters. I'll be the first to, to say it, that there's a lot of things that can take our eye off the ball. There's a lot of things that can distract uh, from that very central theme. Uh, but I think that that needs to be the theme that we the, the thought that we begin with um, is that, you know, that that person that's doing that thing that we think is so apprehensible or that person that we our heart just breaks for because we don't know how to reach them or how to how to care for them. We need to begin with saying, you know, they're just like us. They're sinners for whom Christ has died. Hmm, Maybe right. that's uh, a way to start. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. The, the way that we look at each other. Uh, what, what do we see when we see another person? Uh, do we see their sin do we see and, and their particular sin which i think is where james is going to to take us that's one of the temptations that we we fall into is to see their particular sin is that what we see first do we see their political affiliation first do we see the color of their skin first do we see what what do we see when we look at other people and and your suggestion i think is exactly right and and i heard uh, pastor brian wolfmuller said the same thing on this last week's episode of of cross defense the first thing that jesus sees which is the first thing we should see 
is, is he sees someone, Jesus sees someone for whom he died. And, and so his church, when looking upon anyone in this world, that's what we all share in common. We, we right. all are those for whom he died. And when we start there, this matter of, of partiality is completely taken away. And there's, there's just no room left for it because I, I recognize that before God and before each other, I, we're all in the same boat. We're, we're in this together. We are sinners for whom Jesus died. And, and when we start there, I, I really think that that is the, the more that we just, we keep that in our, in our minds and our hearts and, and in our, our speech and our actions that, you know, how, how exactly, what does that look like exactly? Well, I, I'm not sure. But but when we're starting there, I, I think we're going to head the right direction. Right. I think that's what a lot of us are wrestling with right now is um, just to figure out what exactly that looks like and um, <clears throat> how to how to be about that in a way that is is faithful to Christ first and foremost, uh, but then also is is loving uh, to our uh, to our neighbors and to our um, to the people that are around us. Yeah. Mm. God puts these people in our lives um, for for us to love on them. For us to uh, to serve him, right? And uh, that's that's a blessing. It's a gift. Um, it's something that uh, is also at times a burden, but it is ours to to gladly bear um, and to to bear as as Jesus gives it to us, right? Which is um, it's a light burden, and he's he's bearing it with us, right? He's he's right there alongside us. Um, so yeah, um, oh, it's a it's a big topic for our times, right? Uh, maybe James has uh, has some words for us. Um, yeah. And then he, uh, in verse 10, um, he goes on and he says, uh, this, this really amazing statement, whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of it, of all of it. Right. He says that when he, when he lays that out, um, he's, he's basically, uh, he's not, he's removing all wiggle room. Right. And so, you know, it's not like a Christian could say, well, I've loved my neighbor as myself, um, except for this particular subset neighbor. Right. And but I've kept everything else. Right. Um, you know, I just I messed up a, a tiny bit over there, but that's OK, because you know what would happen there, Pastor Apple, is we would pick, you know, the the places where we would r relax the law. We would pick the places where we would say, you know what? that particular law or that particular sin eh, doesn't really matter to me. And partiality is one of those that runs deep because um, I, I think again, that we all, according to our old Adam, we sort of gravitate towards um, like-minded, like worldviewed people, um, people who are like us. Right. And, uh, and when we do that, um, we give ourselves a pass uh, to say, you know what? I mean, I, I went. I went to church frequently. You know, I believed faithfully. Um, I loved um, the neighbors that God put in front of me. You know, faithfully. Um, but then there are those that you know are in our communities or or even on our street. Uh, you know that um, we know that they're there. <laughs> and if we're not if we're not being there for those people, are we really being a neighbor to them? Right. So um, anyways, there, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, but when he says uh, here that if you keep the whole law but fail in one point, um, this is backed up uh, in multiple places. Uh, just a couple that I, I looked up, uh, Deuteronomy 27, uh, Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Galatians 3. Um, there, God gives the law, right? And if we fail uh, in one facet, we fall short of God's expectations. God is the one who gives the law, and God God doesn't grade on a curve, right? Um, God doesn't give us his law and then say, you know, if you're, if you're more or less good, uh, I, I always, uh, in, in Bible class, I've made this comment before that if you're closer to Mother Teresa than you are to Hitler, then you're okay. <laughs> God doesn't grade on a curve where it's like, well, you're you're barely closer to Mother Teresa than, but you know, no, it's it's all or nothing. If you don't do the law, you're not gonna, you know, you cannot be saved by the law, and and so you need somebody else. You need a Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the law is here. Law remains just as forceful for the Christian. The law still, you know, the law never stops. It still says, love your neighbor. Right. And the law of God is still good. 
And so it's it's left us to to sort of parse out what that what that means for us, uh, which essentially is we live a life of, of repentance and faith. We live a life of acknowledging um, our own shortcomings, our own failings, our own uh, sin, and we live a life of uh, of faithfully responding and saying, you know, that that third use that we talk about of the law uh, that applies to Christians. When um, on account of the love of Christ, we say, "How then can I love and serve my neighbor?" Well, keep the fourth. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is uh, how you who have been loved by Christ can go and love others with the love of Christ. Right? It's it's a beautiful thing, but it's uh, it's an uncomfortable conversation because it reminds us that we can't do this on our own. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this matter of, of whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it is the unifying factor here is what James says in verse 11. This is he who said these things. That's the yeah, unifying factor. There you go. So all of all of it comes from God, who, who, as we've said earlier, this is the royal law. This is the law of the kingdom of the king, Jesus. He's the one who said all of it. So when you when you break, for example, as listed here, the fifth commandment or the sixth commandment, you've still, in either case, you've sinned against the king. You've rebelled against the law that he's given. You've, you've said to him, I don't want to live under your reign. I want right. to live under my reign. Yes, and, and which is, right. as we would say, is a breaking of the first commandment. All yeah. sin is a breaking of that first commandment. Uh, Pastor Beck, it sounds like the wheels are turning in your head. No, 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 you're, you're, you're on a roll, man. No, it's, uh, you're absolutely right here that um, anytime you break any sin, you're ultimately also committing the first commandment. You're breaking the first commandment, uh, which is to say God is the one who said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, right? Um, and so you're basically, you're in effect, sin is saying, I think that I would do a better job of being God than God because God has said not to do this, and I'm going to say, eh, but maybe it's okay if I do this, just this one time or a thousand times or whatever. Um, I love in verse 11 here how um, you thought that we were just talking about, um, you know, showing extra hospitality to the visitor than wearing a Rolex or driving a Bentley. <laughs> and James says, um, you know, the same God who said, do not commit adultery has also said, do not murder. Now, I don't know about you, Pastor Apple, but you know, on the on the top ten, the Ten Commandments here, murder and, and adultery, those are towards the top in terms of like the, the grossest kinds of sins that are out there, at least the, the most visible grossable gross kind of sins. Like I mean murder, that is that's one of the worst things in every society in in, in ever, right? Um and we thought we were just talking about, you know, showing partiality, like saving a seat for your buddy instead of the person that you don't want to sit with. But James is ratcheting it up to a whole new level when he says, listen, when we're talking about partiality, you know, we're also talking about um, stuff just as serious as adultery, fornication, murder. <laughs> um, he makes the point and he uses the same expression there. You have become uh, a transgressor of the law. Right. Remember back in verse nine, you were convicted by the law as a transgressor. He uses these two uh, offenses, these two uh, horrific, uh, um, uh, awful offenses uh, to say that the root problem is partiality. But adultery and murder amplify his point. He says there are no minor sins. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I think that that's a that's a. You know, if you if you're just casually reading through James, you know, partiality. OK, um, yeah, don't do don't murder. Don't you know, don't commit adultery, you know. Um, but he says, hey, listen, you know, these things, um, they're in the same family. Right. So by all means, uh, take partiality and bias and everything else where we alienate others, you know, the us them mentality. Take that. Um, just as seriously as you would murder. Right. It's right. Yeah. And, and to think about. Well, it, it, there's, I think there's a bit of a, an echo, at least in the way that you're, you're presenting this, there's an echo of the way Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount when he expounds yeah. upon both the fifth and sixth commandments where, where he says, you know, you've heard that it was said you shall not murder or you shall not commit adultery. And then he, he expands that. So it, murder is also 
anger, hatred in your heart. Adultery is also lust in your heart. Those those thoughts, those desires that start the physical action, those too are sin. And, and here James, in a similar way, says, look, you know, you, you know murder and adultery are wrong. Partiality, you're still breaking the commandment God has given to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you've broken all of it, which, which, so, I mean, I think the solution that James gives to this matter of partiality is there in verse 12, he says, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And this is a, a theme that James brings out elsewhere. When we show partiality, when we start to have in our hearts and in our words, these evil judgments against a brother in Christ particular or against any sinner, what we're doing is we are taking God's place as judge. Instead of right. placing ourselves under him as judge, we say, no, I can do a better job than you, God, of being judge. So I'm going to judge these people. You step aside, God, I'll take care of it. James says, keep yourself in the right place. Remember right. that you are one who is to be judged. And when we put ourselves there first, this matter of partiality, again, as, as we were talking about, when we start to see others as those sinners for whom Jesus has died, and we're right there with them, then this matter of partiality just completely takes a back seat. We would all do a lot better if we thought a little less of ourselves. <laughs> You know, uh, we have, uh, uh, as I said before, you know, this idea that we are the protagonist of our own story, uh, that we are the uh, the hero, that we are the one that is um, is kind of um, running the verbs. Uh, but that's not the way that it goes. It's 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 not about me. It's about Jesus. Right. Um, he is the one to whom uh, um, all we are all accountable. He is the one um, who has um, who will judge us. Right now, um, yeah, the law of liberty—that's another strange, uh, strange uh, construction. I don't think we see that anywhere else, right? Um, in Galatians, Paul talks about uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, but um, the idea of being judged under that law—that um, that's really expounded upon in verse thirteen, right? Um, that judgment um, is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Now, that's not talking about us um, when it says. Um, uh, the one who has shown mercy, that's talking about Jesus, right? He's the one who shows mercy. And so um, he's the one who gets to decide um, if there is mercy uh, in this judgment. Now, thanks be to God, there is mercy in his judgment over us. That's the point of the Christian religion is that Jesus has come into the world, uh, the incarnate son of God, uh, and he has come to bear our sin and to be our savior. Uh, so thanks be to God that there is mercy, because if it were up to us, um we wouldn't be all that merciful. At least that's my, that's my hunch, right? I think that we would still kind of judge things by, um, by our worldview, by our met. We would say that certain ones don't line up and that certain ones don't meet the mark or things like that. But uh, the idea here, the, the summary uh, of this paragraph, he sums it up with those last four words, mercy triumphs over judgment, right? And so uh, this is... Uh, uh, this is uh, beautiful themes also from uh, from the Sermon on the Mount you mentioned earlier uh, about anger and about lust. Um, also, uh, that's where, you know, just about two dozen verses later, Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right. Uh, but the judgment here, um, the judgment is passed over us. Right. And so we also likewise um, may be merciful. Uh, for those uh, who are around us, we also uh, need not hold others in judgment or derision, um, and, and we can look at people uh, the way that Jesus invites us to look at people, which is in love, right? Mm. Right, right. Yeah, mercy triumphs over judgment, which isn't, it's not just to say uh, God, is, God is nice or something like that, <laughs> or just go be nice to people. But, it, but I think, it, I mean, the mercy and judgment, where these things all come together in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, yeah. where judgment was poured out for sin, but it wasn't poured out upon you and me. It was poured out upon Jesus so that mercy would be shown to us. And, and I think, I mean, I, the word forgiveness comes to mind as well as, as a, how these things come together. It's, it's not that, you know, God just says, ah, it's no big deal. Right. No, he, he does punish sin, but he punishes it in his, son jesus christ and he does that for us 
Well, he does that for me. He does that for you. He does that for all. And this simply has to affect, as we've been saying, the way that we look at the world, the way that we look at each other, the way that we treat each other, that that the same mercy that has been shown to us, we would shown to others. And, and it's not to say, I mean, you know, none of this is to say, and we've talked about this in other programs. None of this is to say that we stop talking about sin, not by any means. We, we continue to proclaim God's law, what he says is good and right and, and what he says is wrong. And, and, and we proclaim that to people who need to hear that. But we never do that apart from from the gospel. That's that's where we're always driving people towards is the mercy, the forgiveness that is there for all in our Lord Jesus Christ. So so mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, um, Pastor Beck. Well, I was just going to say uh, one of the things that uh, that I really caught on to that you were um, you were saying that God. Uh, I can't remember exactly how you worded it. You said that God doesn't just um, he doesn't just like you know, um, sweep away our sins. He doesn't just like pretend like we're not sinners or something like that. Um, that maybe the verb that we could plug in there is that God atones mm. for our sins, right? I mean, um, payment is made for them. It's not, you know, it's not a, a wink and a nod. Like, you know, when I, I tell my kids they need to go clean their room for 10 minutes uh, and then, you know, they come back in seven minutes and I'm like, Okay, I'm a pushover. Go ahead. You know, it's 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 close enough. Right. No, God actually does the thing. God actually atones. He actually takes the place of uh, like if I went and cleaned my kids room for 10 minutes, which I I don't like doing that. So I'm not going to do that. That doesn't sound like fun. Right. Anyways, no, I, I, terrible analogy. But the point remains is that God actually does something. He doesn't just, um, you know, just say eh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You know, uh, you know, I'm going to just declare that your sin is 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 no more. I mean, he, he could do that, but instead he actually sends Jesus to the cross. And that's that's why all of this conversation is is circling around the cross. It's all rooted in the fact that Jesus, uh, the, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, um, that he came for all mankind, uh, for all people. He came to draw all unto himself. Hmm. Pastor Beck, we've got about four minutes left here uh, to talk about, and that's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what it is. <laughs> so we've got about four minutes and this starting in verse 14. Now I, we don't want to completely disconnect this from the context uh, concerning yeah. partiality at, and everything we've been talking about. You, you know, in the ESV, you get this nice little heading that starts verse 14 faith without works is dead, but, but we want to keep this all together. And with those four minutes, this is the this is the part of the book of James where Lutherans may start to get uncomfortable. James starts to talk very, very much about the relationship between faith and works. And this will definitely come up in Monday's program when we get into the rest of James chapter two. So don't feel like you have to answer every question here. But as, as James, what he says here about the relationship between faith and works, a dead faith that has no works, that just looks at a brother or sister who's got nothing and says, hey, go in peace and doesn't do anything that that's dead faith. Oh, this is, we've been talking about the need for repentance here. There's a lot here. Give it your best shot in four minutes. Okay. All right. So uh, here's a, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of notes on this over on the page. Um, so I, there's a lot of, of kind of Lutheran responses to this. So I'll just rattle off a few of them and then we'll, we'll kind of conclude. Um, so yes, we are justified by faith alone. Faith is never alone, right? Faith is always accompanied by works of love and mercy. And so um, you are justified by your faith. Yes, it is true. Um, by your faith alone, yes. But then the, um, the result of faith, the, um, the fruit of faith, right, um, is, is that you would love your neighbor, Right. So faith without works is dead. Um, well, I agree with that statement. Of course, it's scripture. Faith without works is dead. But the problem isn't a lack of works. It's the dead faith. Right. And so a uh, good analogy here, I think, um, is to talk about if there's an apple tree that is not bearing apples. The problem isn't that it is not bearing apples. The problem is that the tree is dead. Maybe I said that too quickly. Right now. Um, but so the, the issue here um, is is you you are seeing a lack of fruit, a lack of works, a lack of the things that you expect there. Um, that is a symptom, perhaps, of the problem that the the life of the faith, the life of the tree, the life of uh, the, the faith life of the person um, is not as it should be. OK, 
Okay. So where there is living faith, there will be works. These just, they go hand in hand, right? Um, The two go together. Now, I think that this is uh, this section here is a wake up call for all of us. I think that this is a section that um, that should should cause all of us uh, to question to think about those times when maybe we we as loving we weren't as kind or patient or forgiving as we should have been. Um, this this uh, picture that James gives us in verse fifteen of somebody who is poorly clothed and you say, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled." You know, or, or you, what do we say today? I'll pray for you. Ooh. That cuts that cuts deep, doesn't it? Right, uh, and then he says, without giving them the things they need for, what good is that? Right, if you're in a position where you can help somebody, um, even to give them the tunic off of your back, if you're like Pastor Apple and you still wear a tunic, um, <laughs> and it, yeah, right. Then I, do I always that. wear my tunic. Yeah, I've I've seen yes, um, but uh, if faith is alone uh, and doesn't have works, then the faith is dead. Right. Now, that's not to say um, that the way that you you enliven your faith is you go out and you start working. Right. So the 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 remedy here, the the solution um, is that we fix the faith. How do we do that? Man, good question. Uh, well, we preach the gospel. Right. We give the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, baptism, Lord's Supper. Right. We uh, we. We give ourselves, uh, we, we make a, we avail ourselves rather of the gifts that Christ gives us through his church. And when we do that, um, he feeds us, he teaches us, he cleanses us, and he changes us for the sake of the world. I'll stop. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with James chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. Yes, sir. Thank you. How do we look at the world as those for whom Jesus has died? He's died for us. He's died for you. He's died for all. And in that faith, in that faith, we love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.